Well, I want to welcome you today and uh, say Merry Christmas. Uh, my name is Paul Mumon. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, if you're a guest, if you're visiting with us today, uh, we, we love having you here. And uh, thanks for joining us as we start this new series called The Gift. Um, the Gift is Jesus Christ. Uh, he is a gift for you and me. Uh, he is a gift to this world. And uh, uh, we're, we're so excited to be in this time of the year and to be able to celebrate uh, the birth of our Savior and how even though that's 2,000 years ago, it, it still changes everything today and it can change everything uh, for your life if you'll allow it to be true uh, for you. Um, well, Ready or not, though, on the other side of things, it is Christmas time, right? And we know there are a number of different things that come with a season uh, like this. And can we just all agree that people either love or hate Christmas? I mean, isn't it true? I mean, just kind of in your interactions with others, when you think about like 82nd Street and, you know, everything that comes with shopping and and all of the weekends and the business, that, that people either love it. Or, or they hate it. And, and you see that attitude more than you like. But kids love Christmas. All right, let, let's be clear. I mean, there, there's no doubt about that at all whatsoever, that kids are in love with Christmas. I mean, when was the last time you ran into a six-year-old who looked at you and said, you know what, I just got to be honest, this time of year stresses me out, you know? <laughs> I mean, I am just trying to survive the holidays and just get through it all to another year. But that doesn't happen because kids love Christmas. You loved Christmas as a kid. You know, I loved Christmas as a kid. I I remember I used to get so excited on Christmas Eve. You know, the anticipation was so great. I'd go to bed. I couldn't fall asleep. It would take forever to fall asleep. And then I'd wake up all night long and look at the clock. And I remember one year I was able to convince my parents to get out of bed at 3 o'clock in the morning to open gifts. All right. I was so excited. I anticipated that time. And so kids love Christmas. I mean, what kid doesn't? I mean, for kids, you know, Christmas is just generally, it's that greatest time. It's the best time of the year. But... Unfortunately, as we get older, we often experience the pain that life can bring us, right? And everything changes. And what happens is that over time, Christmas goes from being this high time of the year to a really difficult time of the year. And that's why you hear people say, hey, I'm just, I'm just trying to survive the holidays, you know, just to get through another season. You know, when you think about it, I mean, what causes that stress? What, what causes that frustration for people? I mean, what causes that anxiety? Well, I think in many ways it has to do with this. It has to do with the table, the dining room table, the Christmas table, the card, you know, board, uh, card table, whatever you, used to sit, whatever you sit on at grandma's house or whatever. When you anticipate some of the conversations that are going to come out over the next few weeks as you think about maybe spending a few hours with someone, as you spend about, think about sitting across the table from a relative or as you think about spending an entire day uh, with someone. I mean, who, who's that one person for you? I mean, when you think about the table, I mean, who's that one person that when you think about the holidays, when you think about these next few weeks, I mean, you can just kind of feel the anxiety increase. You can feel some of that pain. You can feel some of that hurt. And and what makes Christmas difficult? I mean, what makes a time of the year like this so difficult? I'll tell you for some people what makes this time of the year difficult. I don't know if you can read this in the back, but it's divorce. I mean, you can put that right there at the table, can't you? I mean, we've all got a little bit of that in our lives, some more than others. And you know the emotional pain that comes with something like divorce. 
but also the logistical pain of divorce. Do you know what it's like to try and attend 10 different Christmases, 10 different dinners on one day in a 24-hour period? And if you spend one hour too long at this place or 15 minutes more at another place, or if you're not at this particular house by this time or whatever, somebody's getting gypped along the way. Can we just all say that there's some pain and some anxiety that comes from divorce, but there's other things too, um, poor choices. All right, you sit at a table because, well, poor choices can be painful because your brother's an idiot, right? You know, or your wife would at least say that. And you know the decisions and choices that your brother's making. And so, I mean, you know, that can make it difficult. I'll tell you what else can make the table or this season difficult. It's harsh words. I mean, it was that phone call with a sister or a phone call with your mom. Uh, You may think she forgot she didn't. Um, Maybe it's the words that were spoken at a table like this last year and what they said about your wife or what they said about your kids. And so we know the harsh words can make a time like this difficult. We also know that old memories. Hey, every family has got plenty of great memories. But we know there's some tough ones too. And every year at a time like this, you can expect that some of those old memories are going to come out of any table. And it's just going to make things difficult. It makes a time of the year like this painful and a little anxious and difficult for some. I mean, you, do you just get it? Can you understand? Can you just kind of nod your heads with me? Yes, we all get it. I mean, we all understand. I mean, it's every single one of us. No one's exempt from some painful memories like these. And, and so what's meant to be a time of the year for fun and giving and, and generosity really becomes about tolerating and surviving and getting through. You know, it's, it's really... I mean, you did it really does. It's the when you were doing or some of the family events or gatherings or the extra time off of school. But it really was about the gifts. I mean, the gifts were the centerpiece around Christmas. And so I'm just wondering, you know, how as adults, maybe even starting here today, how can we capture maybe, if you would, some of that Christmas magic? I mean, how can we really make it all about the gifts again? Now, I know what you're thinking. You know, you say gifts. Come on. We're not really talking about making it all about gifts. I mean, we, it's not really about the gifts. No, it's about one gift. And I know that you know what I'm going to say. You know that I'm going to say it's about Jesus Christ because he is the greatest gift this world has ever been given. And Jesus is the greatest gift for you and me. But, but Jesus also brought with him a gift that we don't often associate with Christmas, a gift so big, a gift so great and so important and, and so counterintuitive that it could only come from God himself a gift that we know at the very core of our Christian faith, the gift of Jesus really is all about forgiveness. I mean, the gift of the Savior is about forgiveness. His forgiveness is why we celebrate Christmas. And so one of the questions that we're going to ask over these next couple of weeks, and specifically today, is what if this year you were able to build or shape your Christmas in such a way that it really was all about forgiveness? I mean, what would that look like for you? I mean, how different would the people at this table look like if you saw them as God saw them? You know, if you saw them as God would see you, I mean, that you, that, that you would able to be able to see every sin, every word, every former action, that it could possibly be forgiven. I mean, what if you could see that one person, you know, that, that someone in your life who is in great of need as forgiveness as you are, And is it possible that the greatest gift that you could give someone else, and I'm thinking about that one person that you might be holding something against right now, is it possible that the greatest gift that you could give someone else and maybe even for yourself this Christmas is just to simply say, I'm not going to hold this against you any longer. 
I forgive you. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament about a guy by the name of, of Joseph. Now, this isn't Mary's husband, Joseph. We're talking about Old Testament Joseph here. This is Joseph, the son of Jacob. And Joseph was this young man, if you know the story, who had been given this ability to see great dreams and, and these great visions, all gifts from God. And he didn't keep this gift from, from, to himself. All right, he, he didn't keep this a secret. In fact, he enjoyed telling all of his brothers about it. And so they thought he was cocky and arrogant, and they were right. All right, but, but he liked to put this in their face. And, and one day they just simply got tired of it. All right, they got tired of hearing about it. And so they thought about killing him, but instead they beat him up and they threw him in a well and they sold him into slavery. And, and so Joseph spent a good portion of his life as a victim. I mean, if you were able to put one label on Joseph, you could put that label and just title a victim. I mean, he was the victim of his brother's hatred and cruelty and, and later became a victim of some crimes that he didn't commit while in Egypt. And so Joseph spent something like 12, 13 years in, in prison before he was eventually freed. And well, because of some God-only sort of events, Joseph found himself in power in Egypt. I mean, he rose the corporate ladder to the second in power of all of Egypt. And, and he governed at a time when this incredible famine hit the region it's a crazy story but one day joseph's brother showed up looking for food you know they, they traveled all the way to egypt looking for survival and they had no idea what had ever become of joseph i mean they probably assumed he was dead or long gone but when they got to egypt looking for food they found themselves wouldn't you believe it standing face to face with their brother but they didn't know it all right, they didn't recognize him. I mean, they didn't know that this was their, their brother, the one they sold into slavery. But Joseph recognized him. Again, they didn't recognize him. And so here's Joseph, this powerful, large and in charge, you know, sort of leader. He's staring face to face with his brothers, the one who had sold him into slavery. I mean, this is Joseph's great chance at revenge. And, and just look at what happens in Joseph, Genesis 45, verses 1 and 2. It says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And then get this. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. I mean, here we see a guy who I wonder maybe had thought that he had put it all behind him, that it was all a part of his past. But all of a sudden, in this moment, all of the questions and all of the years of pain and hurt, it, it just comes gushing out. It just comes rushing in at this moment. And can we just be honest for a second? I mean, we all have that potential in us, don't we? And we all have potential like this. I mean, isn't it amazing how the ones that we love the most can hurt us the most? And you and I have that potential in us too. I mean, most of us have some issues and some challenges like these around our table. I mean, you can expect them. You're already anticipating them. You know that they're going to come up. But do you know what makes it even more complicated? Behind each and every one of these stories or cards, if you would, there's a name. There's a name because it's your mom or it's your dad or it's your ex or it's a brother or a sister or a so-called long-lost friend. They've all got names. There are all sorts of stories. And more often than we realize, you know, we'd like to think that, well, I've, I've made it the past. All right, it's not going to be a part of me anymore. I'm just looking past it. Let's move on. I really don't want to have to deal with it. But more often than we realize, we've got a lot more of Joseph in us than maybe we think. And so here's what happens, this unwillingness to forgive. It often leads to things like revenge and resentment and, and bitterness. 
In fact, Hebrews 12, 15 says it like this. Here's the danger of bitterness. It says, see to it, the writer says here, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile, enemy, defile, defile many. Now, what's that bitter root? It's things like hate. It's things like animosity. It's things like resentment. You know, bitterness grows wherever there is an unwillingness to forgive. And what does the writer say here? He says that it causes trouble for many. It, it can defile many. And you already know that. I mean, I don't have to tell you that because if you've got old wounds in your wife, life, if, if you've got some old pain, you know, and you hang on to them and you allow the bitterness to really take root or to grow up inside you, you know that it doesn't just affect you. It's going to affect the other people around you. It causes trouble for your entire family. It impacts the whole office. It, it, it makes a big deal with the street that you live on and people take sides. It's the effects of unforgiveness. You know, in his book, Lee, the last year's Charles Braceland Flood, uh, reports that after the Civil War, uh, Robert E. Lee visited a Kentucky lady who took him to the remains of a grand old tree that had been standing in the front of her house. And, and there she bitterly cried that its limbs and its trunk had been destroyed by federal artillery fire. She looked at Lee for a brief word, some sort of encouraging word or something, or maybe at least condemning the North for their actions or at least sympathizing with their loss. But after a brief silence, Lee said this, he said, Cut it down, my dear madam, and forget it. It is better to forgive the injustices of the past than allow them to remain, take bitterness, uh, let bitterness take root in your life and poison you forever. You know, one of the key verses for this series, and one that we'll talk about especially a little bit more in a couple of weeks, is from Isaiah 9. Uh, and it's a prophecy about Jesus written seven to 800 years before he was born. And it talks about how the people of the world were walking in darkness, but that one day they would see a great light. And, and that great light, if you're a Christ follower, is what made all of the difference for you. I mean, there's a good chance that at some time in your life, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know, you were walking in darkness, but God in his mercy, you know, sent a beacon to you to help you find your way back to him. And 2,000 years after the birth of Jesus, as Christians now, we're called to be light to this world. I mean, that's the directive that we've been given by our God. You know, there's, there's a chance that some of the people that will sit at your table over these next few weeks, you are the greatest representation of Jesus that they're going to see in their life. And so what does that mean for you? Again, for some of you, you're the only representation of Jesus that, that they're going to see. And so let me just ask you something. I mean, how will your bitterness help them draw closer to God? Uh, how is your silent treatment going to allow them uh, to see the light? I mean, do you ever think anyone has ever said, you know what, you've ignored me long enough. I now see that I was wrong. I'm sorry. It just doesn't happen like that. And that's why we're called to forgive. Listen, hey, you don't even need to be a Christian to get this. I mean, you don't even need to be a Christian to get the bitterness and the impact that it can have to understand what an unwillingness to forgive can do to you and can do to your entire family. And so who's that person for you? Maybe it's not a family member. Now, maybe it's not someone that's going to sit and share a meal with you over the next few weeks, but I... I'm willing to believe, and as I've been doing some soul-searching too this past week, that every single one of us has somebody like this in our life. 
I mean, who is that one person that you've been withholding forgiveness from? And what could it mean or what would it mean to give the gift of forgiveness to someone else this Christmas? I mean, what would it mean to look someone else in the eyes? And if that's not possible or if that's not appropriate to at least in your heart be able to see someone else and to say, you know what? I forgive you. I mean, forgiveness, it's a gift that you can give to both yourself and to someone else this Christmas. But how do you do that? How do you forgive? I want to give you a few things really quick to consider for yourself. Um, when you've been hurt, the first thing is this. It, it really, it starts with prayer. I mean, when you've been hurt and when you're even considering what, what forgiveness might possibly look like for you, uh, you have to choose to pray. And this is so important, especially if you're looking face-to-face right now with someone Uh, in your life, uh, wondering how in the world you could ever think about forgiving. Uh, It's why you have to start with prayer. I mean, you and I, we have to start with prayer because you might not feel like forgiving and we rely on our feelings way too much. But your feelings are not going to get it done. I mean, when someone hurts you, chances are that you're not going to wake up someday and say, you know, wow, so-and-so really jacked up my life, but I feel like forgiving them today. You know, it just doesn't happen like that. I mean, if you count on your feelings to give you the strength to forgive, I mean, you know, well, what can you count on? It has to start with prayer. I mean, for some of you today, you, you need to know that it really begins with prayer. And I'm not just talking about a one-time prayer and boy, that's just going to take care of everything. And you walk out of here and make it happen. Now, you might have to spend weeks on your knees praying, asking God to give you the strength to pray. You might need to get some friends around you in your life or your connection group praying over you or praying with you for something like this. You know, the greatest example of this really is seen in Jesus you know, he was born into a world of pain and greed and evil. And right after his birth, you know, King Herod, you know, he steps forward and he's doing everything that he can to kill the baby. You know, Jesus grew, he aged, he was rejected over and over again all throughout his life. His family resisted him. His disciples disowned him and betrayed him. The people in the crowds turned on him. Uh, He was arrested, he was tried, he was beaten all the way to the cross. And what did he do from the cross? You know, while the people mocked him and shouted at him, he prayed. And in Luke 23, 34, we, we see that prayer when he prays, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. You know, some of you are here today, and, and you've got someone in your life, someone that has hurt you or offended you, and what you need to do is you need to pray. You need to ask God to give you the strength in your life and in your heart to forgive. And, and, and what are you going to pray for? You know, just a few things to think about. I, I'd encourage you to pray for God to work in your heart, but to pray for him to, to humble you. I mean, I really think humility is the key for us in this. Philippians 2, 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others better than yourselves, above yourselves. You know, if you've got someone in your life that has hurt you, you can pray for God to heal their hurt. Hey, hurt people hurt people. I mean, they really do. And if you've been hurt by someone, chances are that they've probably been hurt by someone else too. Now, it doesn't make what they did right. But, but they've probably been hurt too. And so pray for God to heal their hurt. I mean, Romans 3.23 reminds us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I mean, we all make these mistakes. We all have these imperfections in us. You know, next, I think that it's really important that you pray for God, you know, that you pray for God to forgive them because if they don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, you know, pray that they turn from their sins and they repent of those sins so that they too can discover the benefits of forgiveness in their lives. You know, the great news 
I mean, for you and me and for everyone else is First John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mean, it's so important that you pray. And if you're even you know, willing to go out on a limb and think that this could be possible, that this could make a difference in your life or maybe even make a difference for you this Christmas, I mean, it, it's going to have to start with prayer because if you rely on your feelings... You know, chances are that you'll never feel like forgiving, but God can give you the strength to forgive. You know, the Bible says that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And he can give you the joy of experiencing forgiveness in your life. Not only a gift for you, but it could be an incredible life-changing gift for someone else too. And so choose to pray. But the second thing is this. At some point in your life, you just have to make the decision. You have to choose to forgive. I mean, you just have to make this conscious decision that I am going to forgive. Because it, and if you think prayer is difficult, I mean, this is really challenging too. Because at some point, you've got to make this choice to forgive. Now, why is this important? Well, you know, we look to, we look to Scripture. In Matthew six fourteen and 15, Jesus said it like this. He says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. Now, these are tough words, all right? And these can, these can really mess you up and maybe confuse you even on some theology. Jesus is not talking about salvation here, all right? Be- because if he was, that would mean that we could do things that would allow us to receive that salvation, but you can't earn your salvation, all right? And so that's not what Jesus is getting at. What Jesus is saying is that it is so hypocritical for, for you and me, for Christ followers, to be on the receiving end of such wonderful grace and such wonderful forgiveness, but not be willing to extend that same grace and forgiveness to someone else. Jesus said, hey, it's just so hypocritical. And so Jesus basically says, hey, here's what it means to call yourself a Christ follower, that you forgive and you forgive as God has forgiven you. And, and so let's say, let, let's say you do that. Or let's say maybe you did that. I mean, maybe you find the strength to forgive once. I mean, what about when you've got a repeat offender in your life, right? I mean, you forgive them once, but it just happens again and it happens again and it happens again. I mean, I think Jesus had this in mind when Peter approached him in Matthew 18, uh, verse 21. It says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times but 77 times. Now, here's what Jesus is getting at. Peter raised a question that would have fascinated any Jewish listener kind of peeking in on this particular conversation because it's a question that was often debated. How many times do you forgive someone? And the typical response, the rabbis taught that it was considered sufficient to forgive up to three times, but if it happened a fourth time, you didn't have to forgive him anymore. All right, I mean, four times was just way too many for forgiveness. And so Peter said seven as a way of impressing Jesus. All right, he's the super righteous one here. That's what he's getting at. But that's why Jesus answered 77. And he's not saying 77 and that we should keep count and that 78 would be too many. But rather, Jesus means that when it comes to forgiveness, there's really no point in keeping track at all. I mean, he's saying there should be no end to your willingness, to my willingness to forgive someone else. You have to choose to forgive. And it's hard. It's really hard. And it doesn't always make sense. You know, Jenny and I are trying to teach this to our kids. All right, and if you've got kids, I hope you're trying to teach apologizing and forgiveness to your children too. You might not find it hard to believe, but our kids fight. 
They do, yeah. yeah. I mean, even the pastor's kids, they fight. And, and sometimes they go six or seven rounds before we're able to finally get in and, and break it up. And it usually means sitting down with at least one of them, if not both of them, kind of recounting, talking about what happened, owning up to responsibility, talking about what the Bible says about how we are to treat one another. And then it always ends at, okay, now you're going to go to your brother, to your sister, all right, and, and say, I'm sorry, all right? I love you. And this is usually when the tears come, all right? Because, you know, they don't want to have this encounter with the other. But I'm sorry. I love you. And then we kind of tack on one little one. My wife came up with this, but we always make him say, hey, I'm glad you're a moomaw too, all right? You know, isn't that just about right? I mean, hey, we're all in this together. We're not going anywhere. We're going to be there for a while. But apologizing is tough. We're going to talk about that a little bit more next week. Forgiving is equally, if not more difficult, especially You know, when there's no getting around the fact that what they did to you is wrong. In fact, evil. I mean, you were a victim and maybe you were a kid when it happened. I mean, you trusted them or you confided in a friend and they hurt you. I mean, she cheated. I mean, he just plain left. She ran up the credit card and all the dead. He said the hurtful words. I mean, when that happens, I mean, how do you ever get to a place where you can choose to do something like forgive? I want to show you a verse And there's a good chance that you've probably seen a verse like this before. Uh, There's a good chance, though, that when you read it or when you heard it, you raced past, if you're like me, you raced past a a phrase that really makes all of the difference. And and these words that I want to show you, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote them. uh, And and here's a guy, and if you remember from our Philippians study, here's a guy who was cheated, uh, he was beaten, he was abandoned, he was imprisoned. I mean, if anyone had any reason at all to hold a grudge, it's the Apostle Paul. But, But here's the difference that God had made in his life and was making in his life and really the difference that he can make in yours too. Paul wrote these words in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Here's what he says. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, anger, because Paul Paul knows the difference that can make, brawling and slander along with every form of of malice. And, And then here's the key. Here's what he says. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Now here's that phrase and don't, don't race past this phrase. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Think about that. You forgive. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. I mean, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, do you realize the extent to which God has forgiven you in your life? Totally, completely, unconditional, once and for all. I mean, none of us has experienced a hurt that comes even close to what we've done to our God. And so how do I forgive? I mean, where does the strength to forgive come from? Hey, I'll just be honest. I'll just be personal for a second. I have to focus on how God has forgiven me over and over again. I mean, do you know how many times I've turned my back on God? Do you know how many times I've not followed through on a promise? Uh, do you know how many times I've hurt someone else or hurt him? Uh, do you know how many times I've disobeyed something that God has called me to do in my life? And all of a sudden, I, I see how God has forgiven me. And I can't help but think, if God can forgive me of my sins, why can't I forgive someone else who has sinned against me? That's really what it comes down to. I mean, it's, it's really that clear. That if he is willing to forgive me over and over again, 
then what's preventing me from extending that forgiveness to someone else? Paul says, forgive, just like God, through Jesus, forgave you. Husbands and wives, how are you doing at this? And how, how are you doing in this forgiveness? How, how are, what, what's it look like in your house and your home and, and, and standing and forgiving one another? Um, I, I was sitting on a plane uh, earlier this week and I ended up next to this older couple. And the best way to describe them is like that, that um, George's parents from Seinfeld. I mean, they, they just had that kind of cynicism uh, and, and sarcasm to them. But it, there was no doubt that they were crazy in love for, with one another. I mean, this older couple, and I, I just kind of happened to be listening in on their conversation because they hadn't been on a plane in 15 years. And so that was fascinating too, to just as they were trying to figure everything out. But she, at some point, he made some sort of sarcastic comment to her, and she replied, I'm writing that one down too, pal. And he said, oh, you're keeping a list? And she goes, oh, you bet, and I'm going to smack you for every single one of them when we get home. And, and again, they were kidding, all right? And, and they both laughed, you know, when, when a statement like that was made. But husbands and wives, are you keeping lists? We keep score, don't we? You know, we'll hold that score against one another. Husbands and wives, are you modeling forgiveness for your children? You know, are you creating a home where a husband and a wife can stand face to face one another and say, I'm sorry, even in front of your kids? Do you realize the gift that you can give to your children, a gift of a mom and dad who are willing to say, I'm sorry, I forgive you? Students, are you holding a grudge against your parents or maybe a particular parent? In your life right now, if you're single, are you holding a grudge against an ex? I mean, they're long gone, but you still have that, that grudge in you, that pain in you, holding out, you know, keeping forgiveness from them. I mean, at some point, you have to choose to forgive. I like the way that one pastor says it. Here's how he describes forgiveness. He says, forgiveness means to cancel the debt. It's to look at someone in the eyes. It's saying to someone, you know what? You don't owe me anything anymore. I'm canceling the debt. And that's what forgiveness is. And that's God's plan for the world. I mean, it really is. It's what we're invited into. It's a world where people like you and me can look our offenders in the eyes, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's controversial, and say, do you know what? I forgive you. You know, I'm canceling the debt. You don't owe me anything anymore. I mean, God's plan for this world is a place where people refuse to give their lives over to bitterness. It's a place where hurt people can find healing and restoration. It's a place where offenders can be forgiven. I mean, can you just imagine for a second a world like that? I mean, can you imagine if we all got that? I mean, can you imagine living with such grace and such mercy and patience for others, not overlooking the actions of others, all right? You know, I'm not, this this has nothing to do with putting yourself over and over again into dangerous situations or anything like that. But Paul says, forgive as you have been forgiven. And I realize that if you're standing on the outside looking in on this because maybe you're new to church or maybe you're new to faith, I mean, maybe you would say, you know what, I don't even call myself a Christian. Can I just ask you this, though? Can you understand, do you see what difference that forgiveness could even make in your life? I mean, because if you allowed an offense to dictate everything for you, to impact and shape your life, shape your life up to today, I mean, negatively, I mean, what would it mean for you to forgive, to just cancel the debt, to say, you know what, I'm not going to hold this against you any longer? Um, one of the best books 
that I have ever read. I, I read it earlier this year as a book uh, called Unbroken uh, by Laura Hildenbrand. A- anybody read uh, Unbroken? It's been a really popular book. I, I would recommend it to anyone. Uh, and in this book, Hildenbrand recounts the amazing true story of World War II veteran and prisoner of war survivor Louis Zamperini. Uh, on May 27, just to give you a little background, 1943, Zamperini's bomber left Oahu uh, in search of survivors from a downed plane. And about 800 miles from the base, one of the engines cut out on this particular bomber that Zamperini was on and plunged into the ocean. And Louis and another soldier really miraculously um, survived on a tiny life draft for 47 days, uh, a world record for survival at sea. And after confronting sharks and, and starvation and things like dementia, their real battle um, began. Uh, Zamperini was taken. He spent the next two years as a Japanese POW uh, in the notorious Sugamo prison. And in particular, a guard by the name of Mudashiro Watanabe, and in the book he's nicknamed The Bird, uh, ensured that Louis endured constant physical torture and verbal humiliation, all in an attempt to break his spirit and to shatter the spirit of the rest of the American soldiers. You know, in in 1944, uh, even after Louis had been declared dead, uh, he surprisingly returned to America as a survivor of the war, a prisoner set free uh, to a ton of publicity at the time. But unfortunately, his life from that day forward descended into a new prison of alcoholism and bitterness and pain. And in particular, Louis endured these nightmares about his past. And there was just this really obsessive drive in him to murder his former offender. I mean, it really was his passion to go back to Japan and murder the man known as the bird. Um, But the walls of addiction... And the walls of hatred that had grown up in his life started to crumble in 1949 when Louis Amperini attended a Billy Graham crusade and heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and trusted him as Lord and Savior. And after receiving Christ, in the words of Laura Hildenbrand, she writes, When Louis thought of his history, what resonated with him now was not all that he had suffered, but the divine love that he believed had intervened to save his life. He was not the worthless, broken, forsaken man that the bird had striven to make him. In a single silent moment, his rage, his fear, his humiliation and helplessness had fallen away. And that morning, he believed that he was a new creation. You know, a year after trusting Christ, the story goes as Amparini returned to the Sugamo prison in Japan where he met with his former captors, forgave them, everyone except the bird, because Louis was told the bird had committed suicide. And at that moment, Hildenbrand writes, Louis felt something for his captor that he had never felt before. With a shiver of amazement, he realized it was compassion. And at that moment, something shifted sweetly inside of him. It was forgiveness, beautiful and effortless and complete. And then she writes this, For Louis Zamperini, the war was finally over. Because he was able to forgive, Louis Zamperini experienced, he was able to see forgiveness in a brand new light. It was really a shift in perspective, if you would. And nothing in his life was ever the same. I mean, he didn't live under the pain of bitterness and resentment anymore. I mean, he released the debt once and for all. And it can look like this in your life too. I mean, the pain can end. The war, it can really come to an end for you. I mean, you can choose to forgive. God can give you the strength to forgive and not only forgive, but he can heal you. 
I mean, because let's not overlook the fact that there's probably a pain to deal with there too. But what a gift. What a gift that we have in Jesus. I mean, and what could that gift mean for you? And what could that gift mean to someone else this Christmas? There's one more thing that I want to give you. It's really kind of the finalization stamp on forgiveness. And you can write this down and you can kind of think about what this might mean for you. But it's to choose to bless. You know, this is what Joseph did for his brothers. I mean, if you remember, we looked at that story just a moment ago. I mean, he stood face to face with his brothers. I mean, here's a guy who's got all the power in the world. He's got every reason for revenge and the power to do it in this particular moment. He could have punished them, but he chose forgiveness. And not only did he forgive them, but he blessed them too. And he provided for their needs and even more. And Jesus said it like this in Luke 6. 27 and 28 he said but to you who are listening and i want to ask you are you listening today will you allow the holy spirit to speak into your heart and your life with these words love your enemies do good to those who hate you bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you jesus says bless pray for them choose to forgive To bless them means to love them. It means to turn the other cheek. It means to do good for them. It means to say, you know, with the very best of you, it's saying, hey, because Jesus has forgiven me, I want to extend that same forgiveness to you. Who is it at your table? I mean, who's that person for you today? I mean, who's the one that's caused the most pain, the most destruction for you? And is there an unwillingness in your life forget to forgive who do you need to forgive and just imagine with me if you would for just a moment just take a chance what could be on the other side of forgiveness in your life i mean what could it really look like to let that go I mean, what could it mean to release that pain once and for all? I mean, you know, I know and I realize that this is probably a very difficult message for some of you. I mean, it's really difficult to process what this looks like because it doesn't answer all of the questions because what if they're not willing to say they're sorry? I mean, what if they're not willing to own up to their end? I mean, what if they won't own up to their side of it all? What if they're dead or they've moved on? Some of you have been hurt so badly and you've got a story, and honestly, I could understand even why there's a difficult, even why it's a challenge right now for you to even believe in God because of what's happened to you. And and maybe you'd be willing to go out on a limb today and say, you know what, if I did that, what about all of the pain that's still present and inside of me? Can I point you to the gift And can I just promise you that there is one who was sent by God and he is the healer and he came to repair hearts and to mend lives and he is the very one that can put the pieces of your life back together if you will trust him. He is the gift of Jesus. And what could it mean to extend that gift to someone else? But maybe even more importantly, what could that gift mean in your very own life? Will you pray with me? Uh, God, you know every story here today. Uh, You know every pain, you know every hurt, you know all of the details. And for some, maybe it's a distant memory, but it's still real. It's still fresh. Uh, For some, it could be very recent. God, will you give us the strength to forgive? 
In fact, I want to just give you a moment because in realizing that it starts with prayer, can I give you just a second because maybe you're willing and maybe you're right there at the place right now where you'd say, okay, I'll start there. I don't know how I can go from this place, but I'll start with prayer. Would you just cry out to God right now and say, hey, I'm hurting and I want to forgive, but I just don't know how to. I'm going to give you that moment right now in your life to do that. Just pray that to God. Cry out whatever he puts on your heart. we need your power and we need your presence in our lives as we cry out to you as these prayers are offered up to you God you've got the attention of someone or some people right now in this room who maybe for the first time in a long time are listening and wanting and hoping and even maybe even to believe that this is possible but they don't know how to get there but God they've cried out for help God I pray that right now in your own power and in your own way that you would say hey this is where it begins God would you get hold of lives would you get hold of families right now? Lord, and would you do a great work of healing and forgiveness? Would you give us the power and the ability to go and to forgive someone else in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord? And God, would you heal hearts too? Would you heal hearts and mend relationships? God, I pray right now for marriages in this room that are barely hanging on and we claim them in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord. And I just pray for forgiveness grace and mercy that because you've forgiven us Lord that we can forgive someone else that, I, that, that, that someone here could say I can forgive my wife or I can forgive my husband for relationships between parents and kids God old friends Lord brothers and sisters would you give us the faith to trust you that you can put all of the pieces back together and, and as we pray I realize that for some of you maybe this is going to have to begin in fact, I'm going to say it just it has to begin with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if you don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ, man, I mean, you're missing uh, a power and a strength in you that you've never seen in your life before. And you can have it today. As we pray right now, even with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to give you the opportunity to cry out to God today and say, I need Jesus in my life. I want him as the gift, as my Lord and Savior. And if that's you, wherever you're sitting right now, just pray these words with me to invite Jesus into your life. God, I need you. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, my gift, my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Call me your son. Call me your daughter today. God, I thank you for these prayers offered up to you. We are so thankful that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, that we can take a season like this to be reminded of the gift that you've given us in Jesus. And oh, we praise you, God, and we give you thanks for all things because we know that his life, it changes everything. And we pray this in your son's name. We pray, amen.